bed and I stumble to the kitchen Pour myself a cup of ambition and yawn and stretch we and try to come alive Uniquely female dilemma of managing life, work, family and self I'm Maura Carlin. And I'm Christy Derrico. With women a major part of the workforce and two-income families common and unavoidable, the demands on women are extraordinary and only increasing. We typically ask our guests whether they think you can have it all and all at the same time. And this show, we turn our attention to our bodies, especially as we hit the holiday feasting season. So can we eat and drink it all? That's the discussion with Dr. Bruce Bloom. So if you've got questions about nutrition, diet, even health, you can call in and ask. The number is 914-636-0110. Our phone lines are open. Our guest, Bruce, is a nutritionist specializing in functional medicine. And if you don't know what that is, don't worry. We're going to find out today. Bruce, thank you for joining us. Thank you, Maura, and thank you, Christy, for having me. I'm assuming that you guys are considered the afternoon dynamic duo. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, we usually call in and say hi to Dennis and Tani, and then they get to hear us in the afternoon. So, Bruce, why don't you get us started, and why don't you tell us what functional medicine is? Okay, well, functional medicine is very simple in concept. It's it's the human in, in the traditional medical model, you're dealing with systems that are either broken beyond repair or dead and no longer able to operate. And certainly that needs intervention. That's a 911 visit. In functional medicine, you're dealing with systems that are injured but still have an opportunity to recover on their own. And it's just creating the environment that allows the system to be able to repair itself. No different than if you came in with a broken leg or a sprained ankle, the conversation would be very simple. Here's the good news. Here's the bad news. The good news is we don't have to cut your leg off. The bad news is we probably don't want you to go out dancing for the uh, next few nights. Um, just to give, it a, you know, give any tissue a chance that's been stressed or injured but not dead a chance to recover. I like that. It sounds very hopeful. And I saw on your website, you you had some phrases that I really cued into. Um, I like this prevention before cure and how you evaluate signs of problems. Why don't you elaborate this on this on how it factors into your treatment? Sure. Well, you know, the human body is very intelligent. And if it doesn't like the way you're treating it, it will, in many ways, try to let you know. If you stick your hand on a hot stove, you know, your hand will probably tell you that this is probably not a great place for me. Um, So, you know, you look for evidence that the system is saying, hey, I'm not so happy with the way things are going. In the beginning, I chose obesity or weight-related issues because it was just so easy to see. You didn't have to, it wasn't, didn't require blood work. It didn't require advanced analysis. You know, you can basically measure the composition of somebody's weight. You can see excess non-productive weight. And, you know, you can see it visibly. So it was easy to see. Um, and and you saw that as an opportunity to to let somebody know that their body is telling them that they're bringing in more than the system could process or manage or get rid of, effectively get rid of. And that, over time, is very dangerous. So you may be wondering why we're talking about this on a show that focuses on work-life balance. Well, there is a reason. You know, women neglect their health, particularly those who are caretakers. There are examples, and we hear it all the time, of, you know, the, the matriarch of the family prepping and feeding everyone else but not themselves or making what the others want and not what they need and just eating off of kids' plates. 
And we came across a study a couple of years ago, 2018, by Red Book Magazine, GCI Health and Healthy, um, showing that although women overwhelmingly take responsibility for the health of the family, they neglect their own. Um, Two-thirds of the 1,000-person study said they didn't feel in control of their own health. 90% described stress levels as moderate to high, and almost 40% said they've been diagnosed with anxiety or depression. And this is two years before the pandemic. Right. So we've got to look at our bodies, and we have to take care of them. And that's why we're discussing this today. Well, Dr. Christiana Northrup had a great uh, story related to that. You know, she was a doctor who cared for her patients. She was a wife who cared for her husband. She was a mother who cared for her children. And uh, she was a friend who cared for her friends. And she cared for everybody but herself. And she was feeling tired and beat up and run down. And one day she was, as she tells the story, she was sitting on an airplane and she heard the pre-flight ritual and she heard the flight attendant say, you know, if the cabin pressure drops and an an oxygen mask will come out, uh, place it over yourself first before you assist others. And she started breaking down and crying and realized that she was suffocating because she was helping everybody but herself. And in the end, you know, you you have certain life lessons. You know, my dad died when he was young. He died from the complications of very, very, very bad lifestyle choices. He had a first massive heart attack at 39. Now, if you asked him at that time, what were the most important things in his life? I'm sure he would say his three sons, me being one of them. But yet he left his sons without a father. And so, again, you have to look at it from that perspective. How valuable are you to yourself, but also to your family? And Part of that value is built around how well you feel. Now, in your practice, do you see this being a problem besides the doctor that you talked to who was not a patient of yours? Right, right. Uh, Yeah, of course. It's a problem for all of us, you know, trying to figure out how to create an environment that works for the design of your model. And most people, that's really where... The health challenges lie is they, you know, they're born a chicken and but they want to live like a duck. And unfortunately, you know, their bodies just, you know, can't adjust to those changes. So I'm just curious, Maura has worked with you for years and you and I are getting to know each other for the first time. I also have a friend who worked with you a few years ago and she was very successful in the program. But why don't you walk me through it? Somebody comes into the door, and do they usually present to you with a problem, or by and large? Well, I mean, typically, people who call my office are calling because they're they're concerned about something. Um, and you know, I would say ninety nine percent of my practice is direct patient referrals. So people who've had success, you know, and you've seen their success. Um, so you know, so usually, again, you come in with some evidence that the system is not so happy. At some point in time, you don't really need more evidence. You know, you have a system that's saying, hey, this isn't working for me. At that point, what you want to do is say, okay, why? You know, and it's usually, quite honestly, in concept, it's simple. It's some combination of addition and subtraction. But is it, are most people coming in because they want to lose weight and look better, or are they coming in because there's a health problem? Both. I mean, initially, I would argue, you know, not argue, I would say that it was mostly people coming in for weight-related issues. Chickens who want to look like ducks. Maybe not the best Or supermodels, I guess. There was that size six and, you know. Right. um, But, you know, 
fundamentally now, I think it's my practice has evolved and people come in with a lot of different health issues. I do a lot of, I see a lot of people with digestive issues. I see a lot of people with non-alcoholic fatty livers. I see a lot of people, you know, whose stress, whose blood sugar control mechanisms are off, but not off enough that they need medication, but off enough that it's impacting how their body's functioning. Or perhaps they'd rather not try the medication that their doctor wants them to do. And by the way, I'm not anti-medicine in any way, you know, any uh, way, shape or form. I'm very pro-medicine. You know, when your system needs something, you know, take it. But if if you can do it, if it can heal on its own, wouldn't that be the ideal situation? Because, you know, somebody said, uh, had a very funny line at a conference many years ago. He said, you know, the dumbest kidney is smarter than the smartest dialysis unit, so keep your dumb kidneys. You know, I mean, and I think that's, you know, you can say that with every system in your body. Right. So the patient comes in, they have a complaint, and you perform some tests and then you give them a regiment is this yeah. is this I mean, what we're going to hear about when so we come back so from if commercial? you're <laughs> that's right we're taking a break we'll be back stay with us it's the balanced dilemma we're talking with dr bruce bloom we are talking nutrition diet health and you can call in and ask your questions. The number is 914-636-0110. We hope you'll call in. So why don't we continue? Uh, explain to us the process of a patient who comes in, what, what, what it entails. Well, it usually entails sitting down with that person for 15 minutes, a half hour, 45 minutes, just to, so they can tell their story, so I can get a sense as to, you know, the... The whole complete picture, you know, family history, personal history, things like that. And then in functional medicine, remember, I'm not, you know, practicing traditional medicine and I'm not really treating a diagnosis. I'm treating the evidence of the body, I mean, evidence of the system not working, you know, not as the problem, but as the evidence. And so, you know, we... In functional medicine, if you want to run a test, you want to run a function test. A function test is measuring how well your body's performing at that moment in time. Function tests are wonderful, except that, you know, they're much more helpful the second time they come in because now you have a reference point. So if you said to me, you know, I want to go to California, and I said, okay, where are you now? And you said, I'm in New York. I said, all right, so we'll, we'll... put together a plan and then the next time you come in we'll see where you are if you're in connecticut well you know you're going the wrong way if you're in you know ohio at least we know you're on the right road so in functional medicine there are certain tests that we run in the office one is called the body composition analysis it's a way of breaking down your body weight into compartments you talk about weight loss i'm not interested in weight loss i'm interested in health you know, you can cut off both your legs. That's a weight loss program. Um, and it actually save you on shoes. But um, <laughs> in the end, you know, you're looking at you can break the body down into compartments. There's productive weight and there's non-productive weight. So if somebody says, I want to lose weight, you say, well, what is it do you want to lose? You want to lose the productive weight? You want to lose the, the cells of your body that are actually keeping you alive? Or you want to lose the non-productive weight or the excess or what we call overhead? You know, again, you can break your body down as a, look at it as a business overhead and revenue. You. So we want to make sure that if you are gaining or losing, you're gaining what you should gain or losing what you should lose. And there's a technology that allows us to measure that. And so we can repeat that, you know, in intervals to see if the plan is working for your body in that way. Can you just go over that overhead versus revenue? 
Sure. Sure. So, you know, it's nice to have bones, right? It's nice to have major organs. It's nice to have muscles. It's nice to have brains. You know, it's nice to have cells of your body that are there performing a task that's keeping you alive. And do you want to lose that? You know, at the end of the day, do you want to lose that? And the answer is no. You want to maintain that for as long as you possibly can. We know that, unfortunately, the aging process is there is going to be a loss of some of that of, uh, of the function of some of those systems over time. But a loss doesn't mean lost. You know, one of the really f- interesting things about the human body that is that kind of goes under the radar screen is the human body is designed with so much excess functional capacity. You were born with so much more than you actually need on a day-to-day basis. You have two kidneys. I can remove one, which I won't, but I can remove one, and and that will reduce your excretory capability by 50%, and yet there's no issues at all, right? Mm. So when does failure really occur in the human body? It occurs when systems are at about 10% or less of their ability. So there's a large... There's a long way that you can go before systems really fail. And at what point would you consider them working well? Is it 90%, 100%? That's a great question, Maura. I, the, the challenge with that question is we're all so different. And what, be, what may be working well for you may not be the same working well for me. You know, you can put 100 people on the starting line of a 100-meter dash, and, you know, they're not all going to finish in the same at the same pace and some of them are and and some of them are are, that's the best they're going to do you know and and so you can't compare one to another in functional medicine the beauty of functional medicine is you get to compare yourself to yourself and you can say okay is my body getting better worse or staying the same and if it's getting better wonderful now you're you know you're improving function and function is what's the opposite of function? The opposite of function is failure. So what is, by, by maintaining function, you're in a sense preventing failure or delaying the onset. So what's the, the measure of this beyond that first test you talked about? Uh, so, so that's one test that we use. Another test that we use is called heart rate variability testing. You know, every system in the human body has a gas pedal and a brake, right? You guys drove here. You know, your car has a gas pedal and a brake, and they're both opposing systems, right? And you have to have opposing systems in order to maintain control. And so if you did, if you just had a gas pedal, you wouldn't be able to stop and you'd crash. And if you just had a brake, you wouldn't be able to start. So every system in the human body has a gas pedal and a brake. Well, you have a part of your brain that controls all of your basic functions. It's called your autonomic nervous system. And coming out of that part of your brain is literally a gas pedal and a brake. It's called the sympathetic division of the autonomic nervous system or the parasympathetic division. And so, so what you want to be able to see is how well those how well the gas pedal and the brake are actually working. So research has found that there's a way of measuring that, and that's by measuring the rhythm of your heartbeat. It turns out that your heart is an extremely interesting organ and very complicated organ, but the uniqueness of the heart is that it has its own electrical system. It has its own brain, and it can beat on its own. So what's the relationship between your brain and your heart? Well, your autonomic nervous system, this part of your brain that you have no conscious control over, by the way, uh, again, has a gas pedal and a brake. And what it does is it controls the rhythm of your heartbeat. It basically says, hey, buddy, there's a tiger chasing us. Let's pick up the pace here. Or there's no tiger chasing us. Everybody shut up and go back to work. 
So is that like your metabolism? Well, it can affect your metabolism. (laughs) Okay. But your metabolism is much more complicated than that. Right. Okay. I mean, your metabolism is controlled by genetics. It's controlled by environmental stressors. It's controlled, you know, by sleep and activity and, you know. You know, going back to uh, your functional uh, assessment, you know, a before and after, I the jury had been out a little bit with me on some of these, you know, vegan and gluten-free, and I ended up having several personal experiences with people I knew. One family member had terrible eczema and went on a vegan diet to see if it would help it, and it did. It was pretty amazing, and maybe we could isolate certain aspects of the vegan diet. I'm not sure if it's all of it, but... Just to see a change in someone who was suffering, it really worked. And the gluten, I had a family member with celiac, which is something you can ascertain in a test. They went gluten-free. Not only did they lose weight, but the pain and the bloating they'd been suffering with that they thought was just a normal thing in life disappeared. And so those are amazing testimonials. But but gluten sensitivities can not just affect the lining of your digestive tract. It can affect your thyroid function. It can affect joint function. I Mm. mean, you know, it's, it's a little bit more complicated. And you're lucky if the immune system attack on gluten, which is a protein found in wheat, is on the lining of your digestive system. And those symptoms are very obvious. What if those proteins leak through, you know, your digestive tract, get inside the body, and then start to accumulate in a, in a, you know, in different tissue somewhere inside the body, and your immune system attacks it there. Definitely, so it's I definitely just have real. To follow up on gluten, this gluten free, because that's what everyone talks about. My understanding was that a gluten free diet really only works if you have a problem with gluten. Is it? Well, well this is for us to hear after the commercial. <laughs> Let's talk about gluten. <laughs> Stay with us. This is the balanced dilemma. And we are talking with Dr. Bruce Bloom. We're talking nutrition, health, diet. You could call in and ask your questions. The number is 914-636-0110. Bruce, before we went to break, I put a question out there about a gluten-free diet, whether it helps someone who does not actually have a problem with gluten. What's the answer to that? Well, it's a great question. I think the simple answer is avoid it for a while and see if uh, you, you, you feel better. I mean, is this all trial and error? Yes. I mean, you know, the challenge that you and I have is you weren't born with an operating manual that we can kind of skim through to see exactly what your body can and can't do. Gluten is a very interesting subject because what is gluten really? Gluten is a protein that's found in wheat. And what makes it unique is that it's a very complicated protein and it's a very difficult protein to break down. So when you eat something and you swallow it, it goes into this major organ called your stomach and your stomach has this extraordinarily important job, which is to produce ridiculous amounts of hydrochloric acid, basically to kill anything that comes in and to start the process of breaking down protein. But not everybody's stomachs can produce the same amount of hydrochloric acid and stress and age and all these other factors creep in. And when you don't break something down and that is released from your stomach, that undigested protein is released from your stomach into your small intestine. Your small intestine has this massive immunosurveillance system looking for anything that's trying to get in that could potentially cause some problems and it's going to start to react. And over time, you can actually prime your immune system to start to react more and more and more to undigested gluten. But, but people with gluten sensitivities very often have other 
sensitivities to other proteins that are hard to digest, maybe casein in, in, in dairy or, or, you know, red meat or, you know, soy. I mean, you know, there's a lot of different proteins that could be hard to digest. So you're really, you're giving me a good question here. So in the uh, diet that I tried over the past few months, I've cut down on carbohydrates tremendously. But let's say you're going out to dinner, you're going to an Italian restaurant, you're thinking, what the heck am I going to eat? I will ask for a gluten-free pasta, even though I don't consider myself someone with a problem with gluten. And I find that there's no effect on my body, that I can have that meal and I don't gain a bunch of weight from it. So now you're making me question. Maybe I did have a sensitivity and I didn't realize it, but... I don't know. Yes, you know? well, but that's, you know, there's gluten allergies, you know, there's gluten intolerances, and there's gluten sensitivities. Hmm. There's all different levels of reaction. That's the challenge, you know. I mean, it, you know, it would be so much easier if it was like the peanut allergy, you know, where you just say the word peanut and somebody goes into anaphylactic shock. And I mean, you know, you see an immune system that's overreacting. What if it's not? What if the, you know, intolerance is an interesting concept because the, by the definition of the word intolerance, it means there's a level of tolerance. But you know what's really the moral of the story here that's so interesting? It, 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 age-old dieting, when I think of the uh, Weight Watchers books and the little diaries that my mother would keep, it really was calorie counting, right? Calories in, calories out. That's right. And now with these, this information and increase with science, it actually shows you that you might have been putting things in your body that were making you inflate or retain water or gain weight. Right. That if you can modify those things, it's not so much the quantity of healthy, good things. It, it, it's really very helpful in overall. Sure. Well, I mean, you know, it's it's, it's a, calories in, calories out is a very interesting, simple model. But but then you go out in the real world and you start working with people who are taking in limited amounts of calories, exercising their brains out, and they're still get, getting fat. You know, right. still and their system, their bodies are still not happy. So then you start saying, well, wait a minute, there must be something wrong here. So then you. Go back to the books and you start re- re- relearning and say, well, first of all, what's a calorie? A calorie is a calorie. A calorie, like, does it matter what uh, the you calorie know, a, is? You know, a cal- yes, in some ways, but a calorie is by definition a potential source of energy. It's like I have a log, and this log is a potential source of heat. But how does it become heat? Well, number one, I have to deliver it to my furnace or fireplace. And number two, my furnace or fireplace has to be able to accept it. And number three, it has to want to burn it. Well, what if I can't get it there because there's, you know, there, there are filters that your body uses to let things into your body are overloaded, right? We're seeing tremendous amounts of that. Um, or what if the, once you do deliver the log to your furnace or fireplace, your fire, furnace and fireplace is shut off because there's so many other things going on. There's so many other things that are stressing your body. This brings up so many – being uh, in college, I was a rower, and our coach would always say she wanted us bigger and bigger and bigger. And it really does bring up this whole thing of productive weight. Now, modern athletes, even at the Olympic level, they're testing their body fat, and they're right. looking for a leaner athlete. But what's interesting is the the exercise – the mantra with regard to exercise has shown, from what I've read, that women can sometimes – retain weight from exercise and maybe this has to do with cortisol but it isn't always the solution for slimming down 
Exactly right. So, and to, you, you just made a very interesting observation. In many cases, it can be due to cortisol that, you know, the, the exercise is actually stressing their body. Their body doesn't know that they're not being chased by a saber-toothed tiger. They just assume that they're being chased right. by And maybe, you know what, maybe we jumped ahead. Can you do, explain cortisol and, and what that... Well, cor- you know, cortisol is a hormone that your body produces to... It has a multitude of different functions, but one of its primary functions is to raise your blood sugar levels so you have energy to fight or flight. And it raises your blood sugar levels in one of two ways. It either raises it by going to your liver and finding sugar stores in your liver, right, called glycogen, and releasing it. Or what the human body can do, which makes it somewhat unique, is it can convert amino acids or proteins into sugar. Hmm. And so the problem with that is when you raise your blood sugar levels... Your body is also very interesting in the sense that it can convert sugar to fat, but it can't convert fat back to sugar. So when it needs sugar as a fuel, it can't really go to its fat stores. Hmm. So a lot of times if you're stressing your body, you know, and you're looking for energy, your body is not would love to use fat. I mean, muscles and other organs in your body would love to burn fat, but they don't have access to it because cortisol, which is the stress hormone, is directing a whole different story. So just brings us back to checking yourself keeping a diary looking you know to see if you're doing all of this exercise and you're actually retaining you know gaining weight measuring function we have tests right i mean we have tools you know it's it seems to me it's so silly in so many ways if you fell from a tree and thought you broke your arm and said, I think I broke my arm and say, hey, you know what? We don't have to think. We can go get an x-ray. We can actually see if the bone is broken or not. That's pretty I mean, cool. We have tests. I mean, and, you know, it's, 20, it's 2021 soon, you know? There's, there's a lot of advances in measuring function. We can't wait for 2021. <laughs> no, <right? but> <laughs> Never did we want a year to go by so quickly. But let's move away from function just for a moment, Bruce. Okay. Because it seems to me that at least women, and it may perhaps just find it with men also, are pretty hard on themselves about weight and body issues. In fact, I don't really know a woman who hasn't complained about her body, and I'm still waiting to be five foot eleven and 100 pounds, and it's just not happening. Um, are you? Do you hear that a lot? Yes, it's one of the frustrations. You know, again, it goes back to the, you know, you're born a chicken, not a duck. You know, you, you some people... Like you know, I, look at you learn you learn the hard way that you are limited by your DNA. You know, I wanted to be a professional basketball player. I'm you know five foot nine, not even anymore. Um, and you know, and I, if I was seven foot four, I think I would have had a better chance. You know, but I'm not, and there's nothing I could do to make myself seven foot four. So you are limited by your DNA. So some people come in, they have different body shapes and different metabolisms and different metabolic rates and different abilities to perform and and sometimes they get very frustrated one of my pet peeves quite honestly is when somebody comes in and says well my you know i did this diet and i felt great so therefore everybody should be on that diet well you know it's like you coming up with a pair of eyeglasses that work for you and saying well everybody should be on these same prescription lenses so this raises a really interesting question um now you do all these dna tests and they've raised some issues about diet such as celiac which we've already addressed mm-hmm. but do you find in your practice any common themes with ethnic groups that you could say if you are Eastern European or Western European, you, you know, you might have an intolerance to a certain food or something? 
That's a great question. Um, <laughs> I, I, I'm just thinking how do all these yeah. people in Asia eat all that rice? Because yeah. I would be really, really bloated if I <laughs> well, ate all that know, rice. Maybe, maybe they don't drive to work. You know, maybe, you know, maybe they, you know. All right, don't kill my theory. <laughs> um, I'm curious. Well, I, I mean, again, it's, it, that's a great question. I don't really, I don't know if I know the answer huh. to that question. You know, I think that in, in, at least in the United States, there's been so many mixing of cultures right you know we're all mutts basically Mm -hmm. that it's kind of hard to really know that but you think of it with your your children when they're studying world history it's very funny they'll come to you and say you know mom the uh the germans needed to eat a lot of potatoes because they worked on farms and and you sit there and think hmm how does that correlate into fact i don't know but it works well in a history book well i mean there's a great story about this this tribe called the pima indians and the pima indians they they live there's the north pima indians and the south pima indians and we're gonna stop okay can't wait to hear about the Indians. indians Stay with us. This is the Balanced Dilemma. The number is 914-636-0110 for your questions. We're talking to Dr. Bruce Bloom. Bruce, before we took that break, you were going to tell us a story about the Pima Indians. Pima Indian story. So the Pima Indians are really two tribes, one that lives in northern Mexico and the one the other one that lives in southern Arizona. And the ones that live in southern Arizona kind of live on reservations and have sort of adopted the more American lifestyle of white bread and white sugar and white flour and white fats and stuff like that and less activity. And the one that lives in northern Mexico have their you know, their old lifestyle, a hunter, gatherers, you, you know, eat what you, you grow and capture. And the ones in, uh, in the, the northern Pima Indians have the highest rate of obesity and heart disease, and, and the ones in northern Mexico have a very low rate of it. So, it's so, not just genetics. So, it's, so it's not genetics, it's environment. Right? Since it. you were talking about obesity, can you be overweight and healthy? And how do you measure well, If you're using a BMI as a measurement tool, you know, BMI is a statistic. I'm not, you know, it's not making BMI fun of stands for body mass index. So what they basically do is they take every person of that age and height and 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 they come up with one size pair of shoes. What's the average size? What's the average foot? You know, and if your foot's a little bigger, then you're above that. And if it's a little smaller, then you're below that. So, there, but there's a lot of people who come in to see me because when you have body composition analysis, you don't have to use a BMI because you can actually measure their weight. You can break their weight down into how much of their weight is from their bone mass, their muscle mass, their, you know, so you can actually, so there are plenty of men who come in who, who come in to see me who, their BMIs are ridiculously high, but they're very low percent body fat. They're just big guys. They have, you know, they have a large frame and a lot of muscle mass. Is that the big bone category? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> absolutely. And there's the truth to that. You know, some Good. people's frames are bigger than others. Um, and, and on the opposite side, we have a lot of women who come in who are actually very thin, but yet have a very high percent body fat. You call them the skinny fat. Huh. You know, their, their, their protein mass is very low. Wow. That's interesting. So, so let's turn to the holidays. You know, we're in the what I call the feasting season, and I will just put out there that since Thanksgiving, I can't step go, stop going for carbs, and we're going to have to talk about that. But I assume the answer is we cannot eat and drink at all. But what can we do, and can we indulge? Sure. I, well, again, it, it's it's a very 
difficult question to answer because some people can and some people can't, you know. I mean, it, it, there's no one-size-fits-all here. And so what you want to do – but you do understand that the human body doesn't mind being stressed. It actually likes to be stressed every once in a while. It just likes to recover from it. So stress would be so, eating so things So if you eat too much, you know, and, and you go and you give your body a chance to recover the next few days or whatever, uh, then no harm, no foul. But if you do it the day after, the day after, the day after, then there's really no recovery time. It's, you know, chronic stress is what kills the human body. Most of the diseases that people are succumbing to in today's world are diseases of chronic stress, right? So, you know, uh, type 2 diabetes and heart disease and, and even cancer, they're chronic stressors to the body. So this is very interesting. One of the diets I had read about talks about having a binge day once a week. I mean, we're talking about a binge season. So <laughs> t- tell me, you know, how is this true? Can you have For a- some, you know, I think we have a lot of people who once you get your body working as good as you can get it to work, you know, so there's you want to preface that by saying, are you dealing with somebody whose system is already struggling and then you're going to binge eat with a system that's already struggling? You're putting that person at serious risk of having some more complicated health issue. Right. But if you're saying somebody whose system is working really well and they want to go out and whoop it up one day, go ahead, do it. You know, just just give your body recovery time. You so, know, so I know would you rather I'm sorry, sorry. Would you rather somebody go out? one day and just eat it all or over the period of a week between Christmas and New Year's, let's say, every day have one treat. Does it matter? You know, more you're asking me like like I have the ultimate say and answer to everything. You know, I mean, the, the, the truth of the matter is, is people are hiring me to be advocates for their bodies. And some bodies can do things that, you know, other people wish their bodies can do and some people can't. So there's no But that's real, not fair. You're right. <laughs> and, and and I think that's one of the things that, you know, you have to sort of get across to people. You're right. Sometimes it just isn't fair. Sometimes it just sucks. Right. You know? Uh, some people are born with so many, you know, physiological weaknesses, you know, that make it so difficult for them to, you know, really enjoy the environment that we you and I live in, you know, that it's it's just sad. But in, in in changing a mindset where you only believe things taste good when they're white and sugary and, and you don't even know how great food can be when it's a carrot coming out of the ground. I mean, I think that's where we have changed as a society where we're getting back to, uh, you know, what is that called? The, uh, uh, you know, the. To the table movement. Yes, farm to table movement. And I think that definitely helps to eat better Uh, uh, and be better to yourself. You were talking before one of the questions, you you know, is could food be, uh, you know, addictive? And the answer, I don't know if you um, read Michael Pollan's book in defense of food and his book has a great line. You know, why should you have to defend food? And the answer is because what you're eating isn't really food. Right. You don't have to defend a carrot. You know, I mean, carrots, you know, but you have to defend, you know, when you take raw materials or concentrated calories of sugar or fat or salt from another source and you concentrate it and you ingest it, that's a drug. I mean, that's, you know, no different than how you make cocaine or heroin. You know, you're taking one ingredient, you isolate it, you concentrate it, you put it into the human body and it's going to have an exaggerated effect. And maybe that's what you're going for. And uh, Sorry, ahead, you go ahead, Mark. Well, I was just going to say, as long as you are along those lines, this is, you know, besides the feasting, there's the alcohol this season. 
Is that worse than food for us? Again, you know, for some, yes. I mean, how many, just ask, you know, a very simple question. How many people do you know have ever died from an alcohol deficiency? <laughs> right. That's okay. a very good question. I mean, you know, so is it essential? No. I mean, but, you know, can some people process it and, and it not be that harmful or can they recover from it? Yeah, it's very, you know, some people, some people can do it very easily, but there are a lot of people who can't. Do you have a guideline of, you know, for somebody seeing you over the holidays, try not to have, you know, more than one day where you eat this stuff or before you go to a party, do this. Temptation any- guidelines. <laughs> do I have that? I, again, it, we have guidelines that are for each person individually. We have a caller, so go ahead, caller. Hi, thank you. I'm curious to know if you look at a patient's mental health as well as their nutritional uh, health and physical health. Thank you, caller. Yes, thank good you. Question. That's a great question, and. Um, the short answer is I'm really not a trained psychologist or psychiatrist, but we do work with professionals who are. And if if that's the issue that's affecting, you know, your overall long term health and wellness, then, yes, we will refer you to that those professionals. We've talked about stress being a factor in terms of. The body's functioning. Which is a mental health on the spectrum. And that is where I was going. Yes. Well, you know, one of the interesting things when you're talking about the human brain, you know, and you say, you know, there's there's anxiety, depression, things like that. And you, you start to wonder, is it... Is it the body affecting the brain or the brain affecting the body? And we know that the human digestive system, you know, everything in the human body is opposites, right? Everything has an opposite. Otherwise, you wouldn't be able to maintain balance. You know, you have a system that raises your blood pressure. You better have a system that lowers your blood pressure. You have a system that raises your blood sugar, you know, and you have organs in your body that are opposite. So the opposite of the brain is really your digestive system and what they're they're competitors and what they compete for is blood supply. Right. And so if you have a stressed digestive system, right, that, you know, and lining your digestive system is 80 percent of your immune system, which has direct access to your brain. If you have a cranky digestive system and a cranky immune system, it can cause a a cranky brain. There are some world renowned psychiatrists who treat people who have anxiety and depression by just giving powerful probiotics. And very successfully, by the way. Well, there is that acronym in, uh, you know, addiction therapy, um, hungry, angry, lonely, tired, and halt. And food and exercise is such a big component in dealing with anxiety, but I see it a lot, you know. It's definitely a factor. And I expect that you're seeing it a lot more in these last few months of the pandemic. Oh, Oh, you, so now, I want to know the P word. Yes, the, <laughs> the pandemic. COVID nineteen. What have you seen with the quarantine fifteen? Well, for two and, for two and a half months, I couldn't see anything because I had to shut down my practice because I wasn't allowed to really see patients. Um, but you know, since then we've been able to. We had some teleconferences and things like that. But you know, now that we're seeing people very carefully, by the way, um, yeah, I mean, you know, a lot of people have come in and they're. They're stuck. At, their environment has changed. They're surrounded. They're stuck at home. They're, some people are, are just consuming and drinking more than they, you know, their bodies like. And but but they're on the opposite end. There are a lot of people who have come in and they're actually healthier, right? Because they have time now. They're not commuting six hours a day, and you know they're able to exercise. I'm sorry. 
No, that's a really good point. I just want to let our listeners know that in two weeks, on December 17th, we're going to have Tony Cortez, who is our uh, she-wolf of Wall Street. That was her former career, and she's going to come on and talk with us about uh, that experience. But going back to what you're discussing, you're right. There were a lot of people I saw walking that I hadn't seen before, and I think people's stress levels while it might have increased in some categories, it decreased in others. And I think we will have to evaluate what happened uh, to our society, just like the way the, they said the environment improved when all the sure. commuting yeah. ended. Yeah. Okay, but Bruce, on balance, more people gain weight or lose weight? Uh, I'd say it's 50-50, quite honestly. Really? Yeah. Look at that. Yeah. That's a that's I don't know. I, I heard a public service announcement driving in the car here that said, uh, warning of the evils of alcohol <laughs> during pandemic. So it, it, I guess if they're having that, there's a lot going on uh, in all different directions. But um, some of the things we've talked about also are cleanses and these fads. Well, we'll have to have, have them back t- and talk about that. That's right. Well, you'll have to come back and teach us all about that. Bruce <laughs> After Drew. I cleanse and fast, I'll, <laughs> yeah. I'll be back. <laughs> thank you for joining us. Thank you. By the way, thank you so much for having me. Blue you guys are great. Insight and White Plains. Love thank it. You, Bruce. It'll be in our show notes. Thank you. We'll see you in two weeks. Thanks for listening.